Father, and we celebrate the birth of, of our baby, the baby, and our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we celebrate you today. Thank you for bringing us here, the chance to be together and to um, hear from you, Lord. So again, thank you so much for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you can be seated. Well, Merry Christmas to you. I can still do that, right? That still works, yeah. I mean, Christmas was two days ago, another great celebration in the books, and uh, here we are. Now, I, I know Christmas just took place, <clears throat> excuse me, in the countdown of 364 days until the next Christmas has begun, 364 because it's a leap year, because two days after Christmas, making sure we're on, you know, some of you can do little paper chains at home, 364 long, you can get started on those, take half the year to cut them out, you know. Well, I want to ask you, Christmas just ended, but I want to ask you, let's back up a little bit. What are some of the things that you do to prepare for Christmas? Maybe there's some traditions you have. They may be spiritual. Some may be just fun, and that's fine. Now, we did Advent this year at Twin Cities Church, which was really a wonderful experience for us as a church. And I know some of you even took that home and did that at home with your families. Some of you may have been doing that for years yourselves. And so that's a, a great preparation for Christmas spiritually. What about some other things? How many of you put up a Christmas tree this year? How many of you, it was a real Christmas tree? Okay, different there, huh? Some of you like, okay, don't want to deal with, with allergies or fallen needles or whatever else. Any other indoor decorations that you do, you know, little villages or nativity scene maybe, some things like that? Yeah, some hands going up there. Do that. How about outdoor decorations? Any outside lights? Put, went through that? Some of you are going like, yes, and we're like, oh, man, I did it again. <laughs> Anybody try to rival Clark Griswold's 240,000 lights, kind of lighten up the neighborhood? To, no, not, not that one. Good call. <laughs> Power bill's pretty amazing. Did anybody go Christmas caroling? It's kind of tougher to do in our community because it's kind of spread out and stuff like that, but that's kind of a great way to kind of get, get things going. Did you shop for or get or give any Christmas presents? Was that a part of your preparation for Christmas? Good. Some of you, oh, I forgot. I knew I forgot something this year, right? Preparation for Christmas. Did anybody bake and decorate Christmas cookies? That's a great one as well. Now, we, we, do a lot, we do a lot of these at home, but this is one that we definitely get to every year, the tradition of decorating Christmas cookies. And we, do, we have a family of seven, five kids, so we do a lot of Christmas cookies. I lost track literally when I got over 100 that we finished decorating, and, and uh, so that happens a lot. It's a great preparation. Of course, when you decorate and, and uh, bake that many cookies, it also means that you get to eat a lot of those cookies too as well, so that becomes both a blessing and a curse as a part of preparation for Christmas, but that's, that's there where we're at. Well, today we are continuing our Advent series, and, and you may be wondering why. I mean, Advent means arrival, and now that the baby Jesus has arrived, it seems like maybe we're just a little bit all Advented out, right? Maybe we're just done with this. You know, it's time to put the candles away, blow them out, put them away, put the Christmas tree out, recycle it if it's a, if it's a real one, you know, make sure you recycle, and then let's move on, you know? We want to get ready for a New Year's celebration. We've got Groundhog Day coming up, followed brief quickly by Valentine's Day. There's more preparation that has to happen, you know, more to look forward to, lots to get ready for. But our focus today is not going to be on the first advent of Jesus as a baby, as amazing as that was. I don't want to gloss that over, but instead we want to shift our gaze to the next advent, the second advent of Jesus, his second coming we live in a time where the first advent has already happened, and we're waiting, even longing, for the second advent. We're kind of that in-between time, which isn't always comfortable. How many of you like to wait? Not as much as Christmas cookies, huh? 
Not my favorite thing either. You know, Christmas gives us a good time to practice waiting, doesn't it? Every time you get in a car as Christmas got closer, it seemed like you're waiting longer and longer to get where you're going. And then there's the waiting in the grocery store and waiting at the, if you went to the post office, that's always fun. Uh, you know, and waiting at the, the stores, the market. It's just the waiting that happens as we wait for Christmas. But here's where I want to go today in our time together. I think most of us prepare for Christmas, at least a little bit, and some of us a great deal, celebrating the first Advent that already happened several thousand years ago. And that's great. That's great. But how many of us are actively preparing for the next Advent, uh, for the return of Jesus? Do we decorate our houses at all for that? Do we sing songs, lots of songs for that? Do we prepare ourselves physically and spiritually for the second coming of Jesus? Are we doing anything at all? You see, we find ourselves in this difficult in-between time after the first advent and before the second advent, and we find ourselves surrounded by a culture that is increasingly apathetic or, or frankly, even antagonistic towards the thought of Jesus at all, let alone the idea of his return, of a second coming. So how do we navigate through all of this today? Well, before we talk about how to deal with the in-between time, this area that we now live, I want to make sure we understand both sides of the in-between. It's kind of like we're between two slices of bread. It's kind of how I thought of it, kind of a creative approach or just a weird approach this morning. Kind of two slices of bread in here. We've got on one slice, we've got the before, the first advent, and the future over here, the second advent over here in a slice. And we're smack dab in the middle. We're in the middle of this in-between advent sandwich. And And today I want to take a look, before we we come to where we are, I want to take a brief look at both slices of bread, what exists on both sides of us, to make sure that we have a complete picture of where we are today. So again, if you want to follow along in your outline, there's just a few fill-in-the-blanks. I don't want to fatigue you too much two days after Christmas, so there's just a few little short words here and there. But if you want to follow along in your, in your outline, you can do that as well. We're going to take a look at, first of all, in the past, so this first slice of bread over here. So first of all, in the past, we start with, we go way, way back. First of all, Jesus was. Jesus was. See, I gave you a nice short word, like I said in there, to get it going. And uh, this goes way back before Jesus coming in the form of a baby, right? Christmas time. This is, this is before the dawn of time. John 1, 1. If you want to write any of these verses down, they'll be on your screens. We just didn't, couldn't squeeze them all into your outline. But if you want to jot them down, you're welcome to. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. It's referring to Jesus. Jesus is the Word in this context. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is, of course, affirming not only that he existed, but that he, Jesus actually is God himself. You see, Jesus wasn't created. Jesus was not created. He was eternally preexistent as God himself. The Bible tells us that. Now, there was never a time when there wasn't Jesus. Jesus always has been. You see, we see the baby Jesus in the manger, and we almost can think that his life began at that point. But Jesus, Jesus has always been eternally preexistent. Well, secondly, we're looking at this first slice of bread. Secondly, Jesus created everything, and he holds all things together. He created everything, and he holds all things together. We see in Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17, it says this, For by him, and again speaking about Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Physicists are actively trying to figure out how things hold together, because as they go... 
from, from what we can see and start going microscopic and we see molecules and then we go inside and we see atoms and we see neutrons, electrons, protons, and get in all those little micro, micro things and they're really trying to figure out why don't things just kind of blow apart. And um, the Bible, although it's not a science book, certainly tells us that really what's going on is Jesus is doing it. Jesus is doing it. Whether you believe it or not, Jesus holds all things together. I don't want to gloss over some of your scientific minds, but, but in terms of creation, Jesus was an active part of creation. He's an active part in our lives today. He had a major role and has a major role in our lives. And that's really a cool thought. Jesus isn't some distant unconcerned. He's an active role in, in creation and also in holding things together. Well, third, and this is long, but you only have to write down one word, but I crammed a whole bunch of points into one. Third, you ready? Jesus came to earth as a baby. You can write baby. Oh, man, Merry Christmas to you. Jesus came to earth as a baby. He lived a perfect life. He willingly gave his life for each of us. He rose from the dead on the third day, proving his victory over sin and death. Whew. We kind of just covered his whole, his whole earth, earth, earthly life at that point in terms of when he was here. Now, I listed a lot of things there, but they all flow into each other, and they're all incredibly important. You see, Jesus came to earth in the form of a baby man. He took on that form. And, and there are lots of verses on this, and we've referred to many of them during this Christmas season uh, that are there. Jesus didn't begin life at this point. He was always alive. He just took on the form of a baby in the first advent, choosing to limit himself so he could relate to us. Okay? Then he lived a perfect, sinless life. The Bible tells us it's all over the place. And, and he allowed himself to be sacrificed on the cross so that his death could take the place of our spiritual death. That offering is there. But then death couldn't hold him down as Jesus rose on the third day to prove that he is God and that he holds absolute power over sin and death. There's kind of this little 30-plus years of the process of his birth to his death and then his resurrection saying, uh-uh, sin and death have no control, no power over me as God. Now, 1 Corinthians 15, verses second half of 3 and verse 4 says this. It says that Christ, it's in the midst of a dissertation, a censor, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. In other words, that had been prophesied. And that he was buried physically buried, and that he physically raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Again, this has all been prophesied here. And uh, so this is, a, th- this is an amazing thing that t- took place here. And, and of course, this is like how many messages, how many talks could we do you know, during the course of a year, really, on all this stuff? And I'm kind of pushing it in a nutshell. It's a pretty cool slice of bread over here, don't you think? Um, b- by the way, this forgiveness and eternal life uh, is really a gift offered to, offered to every single one of us, each one of us. But, uh, but you have to actually believe in Jesus, who he is and what he did for you in order for you to receive that forgiveness and that eternal life. You get to choose to put your faith in him or not. He went through all of this to offer that to you. It's up to you whether or not you want to receive it. I just want to make sure that's clear. You may be at church for the first time, or maybe things haven't sunk in. You've been here a few times, but I just want to make sure that's clear. This is a gift. This slice of bread, what happened before was Jesus working things, creation, holding things together, living and dying and raising again to say, I want to give you a new life, forgiveness, and eternal life, if you want to receive it, if you believe in me. Well, one more little point here on this pass as we look on this first slice of bread, and that's number four. Jesus went up to heaven. 
Jesus then ascended into heaven. He went up to heaven, promising his return. And we see in Acts chapter 1, as Jesus has spent some time with his disciples after he's risen from the dead, and then he, he ascends up into heaven. He physically goes up, and they're staring up like Jesus just went up there. And it, pick it up at verse 10. It says, And while they, the disciples, were, gather, were gazing into heaven as he, as Jesus went up, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. They were angels and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Okay, so he's basically saying, you can stand here for the rest of your life staring up or let's get busy doing the job that Jesus gave us to do. He's going to come back the way that he left. Jesus physically left earth with a promise to return. So, so that's the past. I know I've just kind of rushed through that you know, in brief, but that's the past. That's really this first bread of this piece of slice of bread and this sandwich that we're in between. Now I want to take a look at the other slice of bread. We're going to take a brief look at the future. And so in the future, first thing is Jesus will come back again. Now I know we just talked about that. He promised it, but scripture says again and again that Jesus absolutely will come back again. It's a certainty. And he tells us in so many places, and it'll be a physical return. So <clears throat> go ahead and grab your pen and, uh, and to write the date and time down because I want to reveal that to you this morning when that's going to happen. You ready? <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> okay, just kidding. In spite of all those ancient Incan Mayan calendars and all sorts of speculation and all those people that do their predictions and all that, well, the Bible says that not even the angels know when that's going to be. In fact, Jesus, when he was here on earth, and it may be different now that he's ascended to heaven, but when he was here on earth, he said, I don't even know when it is. Only the Father knows. Nobody knows. So, so that's a reality. No one knows except God. So by the way, if anybody ever is predicting when it'll happen, I'm pretty sure that's when it won't happen. So I don't get too all caught up in all those little calendars and predictions and people who have the visions and stuff like that. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. And, and that's just real clear. So we don't know when it'll happen, but we are assured that it will happen. In one of the many places that speak of Jesus' second advent, his second coming, and Pastor Ron read this verse earlier on in our service, Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, that was a part of his first coming, right? That first slice of bread. He will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, because he's done that before, but, but to save those who are eagerly waiting, eagerly waiting uh, for, for him and for his return. And so what an exciting verse. It's an awesome verse. Jesus is coming, and it could be soon. And, and we also know, secondly, that his return, it's going to be its going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing, both the way that he comes down and then the result of that. It's going to be amazing. Now, this is going to be very different from the first advent. If you think about it, that first advent, the, his, his birth in the stable of Bethlehem, this was a little nowhere, tiny little town, and he's, bar- and he's born in a little nowhere, tiny little stable that probably didn't smell all that great and was barely on the map. And he's born, considered an illegitimate child, to a, to a, to a man and a woman who are nobodies, who, who have no fame, no power, no authority, really no money, very poor. Talk about humble beginnings here, totally a humble beginning of struggle and poverty. That was the first advent. But you see, the next time Jesus comes, it's going to be totally different. He's going to come with fully revealed power, fully revealed glory, fully revealed might to set up his eternal kingdom. It's going to involve final conquering of sin and death. There'll be no more. There'll be banishment, total banishment of Satan and the demons. New heaven comes and created. A new earth is created. A new playground in a sense. We as believers will be given new bodies. Yes! 
Those hundred Christmas cookies ain't going to matter, right? This is an amazing thing, both how he comes. The Bible doesn't give us great detail, and we're not going to go into much more detail. It gives us some detail. It's going to be a wow experience, and then what he does and accomplishes, and then what the result of that will be is going to be just flat out amazing. It's a wow. And, and this first slice of bread was crazy amazing, and the second slice of bread is crazy amazing. And we get to live in the middle. We get to live in the middle, celebrating what has happened and looking forward to what is going to happen. In this series, we've been looking at a lot of passages found in the Bible book written by a prophet named Isaiah. And today we want to follow suit with that. We'll be looking at Isaiah 52. If you have your Bible, you can open to that. We'll start at verse 1. We'll be taking a look at the first bunch of verses in Isaiah 52. They're in your program and on the, uh, the screens as well. These verses here at the beginning of Isaiah 52 really give us a poetic uh, look at the strength, beauty, and freedom that, we're, that will result from Jesus' second coming, his second advent. Let me read you Isaiah 52, 1 and 2. And again, we'll have a chance today to do some poetry that I'll unpack for you a little bit. It says this. It says, Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion, put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for there shall, be no, more, for there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Oh, be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. Beautiful poetry really could be a song. Jesus' second advent will come with a freedom that is beyond our understanding that we even know today. We live in America, a, a land of freedom. This freedom will be amazing. These verses talk about strength. They talk about beauty. They, they talk about purity, about being cleansed and renewed. Oh, they talk about rest, and they talk about being set free. Does that sound pretty good to you? It's going to be amazing. Now, interestingly enough, um, a number of the Christmas carols we sang this morning not only talk about the birth of baby Jesus back here as part of this first slice of bread, but they mention the amazing beauty and hope and promise of the second advent, too. The carol writers were anticipating the wonders of Jesus' second coming, even when they wrote about Christmas and what happened then. So, so we've looked at, briefly, admittedly, we've looked at the past and kind of set that up from really eternity past up to the first coming, uh, first advent. And then we've gone into the future, and we've taken a look at really what's coming here, the second advent. And, and so we can take a better look now at the inside of the sandwich, where we live today. And uh, as we wait and long for the coming of Jesus, we might ask the question, how might we do that? Here we are stuck in the middle, we're waiting. How should we or how can we do that? And we'll be using some more verses from Isaiah 52 to, to, as we look at how we should be waiting during this in-between time. How can we prepare for the second advent of Jesus? It says in your outline, so now <laughs> we wait. We wait for that day. And how should we do that? First thing you can write down is that we should wait with anticipation. Wait with anticipation, not fear. Now, Jesus coming back to earth sounds, it sounds really exciting, but it also can sound sort of intimidating if you think about it. I mean, Jesus is coming to save those who believe in him, who eagerly wait for him. But isn't he also coming and bringing judgment? And judgment sounds a little scary, especially if Jesus knows everything about me inside and out, right? He knows everything I think and have ever thought, everything I say, everything I do. Boy, that does get intimidating, huh? I mean, if he's going to come and carry a certain amount of judgment, uh, that's a little intimidating. That can be uh, a little fearful, to say the least. Will Jesus bring judgment? Absolutely he will. 
In fact, there's even a part the Bible talks about as believers. There's judgment involved. It's a different kind of judgment, but there is judgment looking at our lives, and, and it matters. Yes, he will, but see, here's the thing when he says, when we say wait with anticipation and not fear, those of us who follow Jesus, we are all together called his bride. We're his bride. It's a celebration. It's a party that's happening. There is no fear. It's just this big celebration in a sense, a, almost a wedding, a culmination. A, it's a party. Isaiah 52 verses 9 and says, says, break forth together into singing, not wailing, singing. Yes, you, um, you waste places of Jerusalem for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bar- bared his holy arm before the eyes of all nations. He's got a big arm. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of God. We're singing about the wonders and the glory and this anticipation of what Jesus is going to do. You see, the world will see people that follow Jesus, that have put their belief in Jesus. They'll see those people. They'll see us that have chosen that receive comfort. They'll see us be paid for in full and saved from all condemnation. And it's just going to be a party. It's just going to be a party. Now, I, I mentioned fear about him coming. Another side of that is I sometimes hear people say things like, I'm not sure if I'm ready for Jesus to come back. I got some things I kind of still want to do in life, you know, I'm maybe especially for younger people, I, I want to get married, I want to have kids, start a family, maybe you're waiting for, gosh, I hope he doesn't come before I have grandkids, I've heard how cool grandkids are, I want to wait till then, maybe there's just something there, I, you know, or, or sometimes people say, I just want to get my life together first, and it's almost like we're afraid we're going to miss out something on this life. Now, these ideas may occur to you, especially if you're young, but it's you know, and I don't want to put it down, but frankly, it's pretty short-sighted if you think about it. Um, in truth, we actually struggle along in this life. We wait with anticipation for Jesus to be revealed so we can truly become all that God desires for us. I mean, even the very best of this life, if you look at it, even when it's the very that those best moments in big picture are followed by moments that aren't so good and that aren't so good. And frankly, anybody had some lousy moments in the last week or two or month or two probably, you know? Some even hands going up. Yeah, yeah. And so we look big picture at this life and go, oh, Lord, it's a gift. It truly is. But, oh, I wait for... Oh, and all that's going to be gone? When that very best moment, your very best memory, as high as it is, is going to be down here compared to what God has for us for eternity as followers of Jesus. Oh, it's going to be beautiful. I, amen to that, right? Romans 8, 22 and 23, there's a whole passage. I narrowed it couple down to a couple verses. Romans 8, 22 and 23 says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. I hear that childbirth is painful. Just being a guy, I don't want to say I've been there. You know, I've had, my, I've had five kids. <laughs> my wife and I have had five kids. The result is beautiful. Where it ends up is wonderful to have a baby who becomes a child who grows, who grows up. But oh, that moment, that, the pain of childbirth, mm-mm. It's kind of where we are right now. Oh, it says all of creation groans as in the pain of childbirth. But, and, and not only creation, it says, but we ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we have the Holy Spirit, we have Jesus, we've tasted what life can be like with God. But we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. Oh, it's going to be so much better. I sure hope. It is going to be so much better. Oh, I groan for that. Oh, it's so wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, we wait with anticipation for that huge celebration, and we can prepare for it with eagerness, and we can. 
And I prayed before first service because I realized that I know this is coming and I think that's cool and then I get back to my life and I live here. I want to live here doing what God wants me to do, being who God wants me to be, but with a real longing and an anticipation and a desire for what's going to be because I know that's going to change me today if my eyes are there. How might that change me? Secondly, we can prepare for his, his second advent by seeking him. And write down the word, that's relationship. We seek relationship, a deeper, a better, a closer relationship with God. We want to know him well before he returns, don't we? So he's not a stranger, but a close friend and a family member that's restored to us. Well, let me ask you this. How excited would you be if you hear that someone that you never met and you never heard of is moving back to Grass Valley? Yippee. I mean, good for them, I guess, right? You're not in relationship with them, so it doesn't mean anything to you. But if someone that you're very, very close to just recently moved away, oh, gosh, you're, heart, you're heartbroken, aren't you? Oh, they're leaving. And, and then you hear a few months later, they're coming back. Oh, they're coming back. And you're thrilled then, aren't you? You're excited. And why? Because your relationship increases the joy, doesn't it, of the anticipation of a return. And Isaiah 52 speaks of this possible intimate relationship with God. As we get closer with God, it allows us to have more joy and anticipation. Isaiah 52, 6 says this, Therefore my people shall know my name. And I have to pause because in the Old Testament, we think of names as just kind of a name today, but, but name was a much bigger deal. It, it was identity. It's who you are. To know somebody's name means you. You know them. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. It's speaking of this relationship of that day. And, and we can prepare for his second coming by getting to know him better, more intimately, to increase that joy. And we can do that through, through reading the Bible, through praying, through, through serving him and living in the power of the Spirit. As we go, seek him out closer. God, not because I have to, but because I want to, so that I, can, so that I can look forward to that day when you show up and I'm not going to go, who are you? you know, I kind of recognize you, but go, oh, this is, you are so much more. Well, third, as we wait for Jesus' second coming, we should pursue holiness because holiness matters. Because holiness matters. Now, as we follow Jesus, it's absolutely amazing to know that he forgives us all of our sins. And I mean all of our sins. He does that. I really like that. <laughs> Not just some, but all. And yet, if we truly want to allow Jesus to have his way in us, you know, we need to allow him to conform us into his image allow him, do you catch that? Yield, submit to him, to allow him to conform us into his image. And that means that we're going to become more and more holy, more, more and more pure as I process, as I'm in relationship with him. So, so although Jesus isn't going to reject us if we aren't perfect, that's a good thing because none of us are perfect, right? He very much calls us to pursue a life of righteousness and holiness. He actually cares about that. Isaiah 52, 11 and 12 says, depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing, touch no unclean thing, go out from the midst of her, purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord, it's talking about us, for you shall not go out in haste and you shall not go in flight, for the Lord will go before you and the Lord will be your rear guard, he says, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to surround you, and I'm asking you to be pure, I, because holiness matters, purity matters. <clears throat> well, think about it this way. Let's say you heard that Jesus was going to come to our area. 
wherever you live, Grass Valley, Nevada City, to your area tomorrow. In fact, he's not just coming to our area. He's coming to your house. He's coming to your house tomorrow. And he's probably even going to spend the night, share some meals together, spend some time with you. Wouldn't that be amazing? He's coming to my house. He's coming to my house. Oh, my goodness. Would you change anything? Would you do anything? Would you clean up a little bit? If your house looks anything like mine post-Christmas, holy moly, I'm not sure there's room for him. Boxes and stuff, styrofoam paper, whatever. Would you bother to clean your house at all? Would you put fresh sheets on the bed of the guest room, or would you just continue to throw your dirty laundry in there? Kind of a nice room. Sometimes you throw dirty laundry and close the door. Oh, he's going to be staying there. I think maybe I'd make the bed. What do you think? Would you, would you clean the bathrooms? Put out fresh towels? Or let Jesus just deal with the mess that's there? Right? Would you say... You know, it's just Jesus. He knows how dirty things can get. He created dirt after all. I mean, he's been up to his elbows in dirt. He's been here before, right? Would you say that? Probably not, would you? <laughs> probably not. You'd do probably a deep, and you might not go to bed tonight, especially some of you ladies. And if my wife's here outside or she's around, she's going, yep, because she loves clean, and she's so good at it. I, I'm not gifted in that myself as much. I try. But stay up all night because why? Because Jesus is coming to my house and he, he deserves the best, doesn't he? Well, let's go a little more intense. What if, as you went around your house and you thought about it, you had some things that, some materials around that weren't really Jesus-pleasing? They might be, not be horrible, but maybe they really aren't the kind of things you want to put Jesus in front of. You know, maybe there's some magazines or some books or some, some videos or some other materials, some wall hangings, some things around that... You'd rather Jesus not see. You might not be comfortable with it. You know, stuff that might not be up to his standards. Would you leave him around and just go, ah, well, he knows they're here anyway because he does know. Or would you maybe just kind of throw a few things away, tuck a few things away, rent a big trash bin to put everything in and get rid of in the process? I think we would scour our houses doing everything we possibly could to make our house as much of a temple as possible. Not to fool anybody, but because God himself, Jesus, is coming to town, not Santa Claus. Jesus is coming to town, and he's, and he's coming to my house. He's coming to your house. But, but that's the point, isn't it? Jesus is coming back, and, and maybe soon. Why wouldn't you prepare for it? Why wouldn't you prepare for it? Because purity and holiness matter. And it only comes as we submit to the Holy Spirit inside of us as, as followers of Jesus. But please know, please know that holiness and purity matter as a part of our relationship and walking with him. Well, finally, as we wait for Jesus to come again, one more point. We want to tell others. Tell others. Don't delay. And there's two parts to that. I had you write the words tell others, but don't delay is, is just as important part of that. You see, the message of the forgiveness of Jesus is amazing. The truth of the freedom and purpose and love and new life Jesus offers, it's huge. It's, it's the biggest and best news that you could tell anyone ever. And they are dying to hear it, literally. They're dying to hear it, literally. They may not even know it's good news. They may not know that they need to hear it. But you do. You know they need to hear it. And Isaiah 52, verse 7 and 8 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. 
Oh, wherever those feet touch, flowers spring up. It's beautiful. Who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation. He says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. We have the cure to the fatal disease of sin and death. It's a disease that infects, affects and infects every single person on earth. And we have the cure. And because Jesus is coming back maybe soon, we need to tell others now. The time to share it is now. It's urgent. It's urgent. In most of my reading and, and listening and studying over the past bunch of years, without going into too much detail, many, many scholars believe that pretty much all, if not all of the prophecies, the major prophecies, and there are many, that need to happen before Jesus comes a second time, they've already been fulfilled. There's a few vague ones and whatever else, but when you look at them, this needs to happen, this needs to happen, this needs to happen. We're here. Folks, many, many scholars, theologians, believe that it could come this week. It, it doesn't have to be next year or 100 years from now. It could be this week. And if there's people around you that are infected with sin and dis- this disease of sin and death, and you hold the cure, and you knew you only had a week to get them that cure, do you think you'd maybe offer it to them? If you knew that you had a week? See, we don't know. We don't know. I'm not predicting the date, right? But because Jesus is coming back maybe soon, we need to tell others now. The time to share is now. It's urgent. And I think we sometimes find ourselves waiting to share about Jesus, you know, waiting for that perfect time, you know, when things are right and the relationship develops and things, you know, and all that. But, but the perfect time may never come. The perfect time, I'll tell you when the perfect time is, it's before Jesus comes back. That's the perfect time because once he comes back in judgment, and, and it, it's too late. I mean, it, it, so it's, it's time for them to have that relationship with Jesus so they can celebrate his return as well. And since we don't know when that is, we need to see the urgency here and be ready to tell others without delay. So we live in this time of in-between, a, a time of, of waiting. Are you ready to see Jesus again? It just starts with, do you even have a relationship with Jesus? Have you made that decision to enter into that relationship? Are you looking forward to his second advent? Are you waiting with anticipation? Are you seeking God in intimate relationship? Are you pursuing holiness and purity? And do you sense the urgency to tell others? We prepare so much for Christmas the first advent, and that's wonderful. So much time, energy, money, focus goes on preparing for the first advent, which has happened, and that's truly a celebration. Let me ask you, how how is God speaking to you today to prepare more effectively for the second advent of Jesus? Because that's right where we live, in the in-between, eagerly anticipating what lies ahead. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for, uh, thank you for Jesus. <laughs> we are two days after a celebration where we still see Jesus in a manger, a newborn, and Lord, what an amazing celebration. We're so grateful for that. We're so grateful for the gift that, Je- that you are, that you are to us, Jesus. Lord, I just pray right now as we 
consider for a moment being in this in-between time sandwich that you would speak to our hearts about what you want us to do to prepare for this second advent. Maybe we haven't been anticipating eagerly. Maybe there's been fear involved and that needs to be cast aside. Maybe we need to pursue a relationship with you deeper than we have, an intimate relationship. Lord, maybe we need to pursue holiness and righteousness and purity. Lord, maybe we need to see and sense and act on the urgency to tell others, all in anticipation of this wonderful, glorious, amazing day, the second advent. Father, I just pray if there's anybody here today that hasn't yet given their life to you, Jesus, that they would do that now. And you can do that simply by saying you believe to him in your head and in your heart, asking for his forgiveness for your sins, for the things that have alienated you from God. Ask him just to forgive you. He promises to do that. You put your faith in him, your trust in him. Ask for him to lead your life. He will do that. You then get to celebrate in fullness the first coming and can begin a true celebration towards the second. Lord, we love you. Change us today as you feel fit. In Jesus' name, amen.